Climbing to the cockpit with pilot and Link Square's Chief Legal Officer, Tim Perilla, as he invites legal leaders aboard to share advice that will help you navigate even the most turbulent times of in-house counsel work. We'll cover a range of topics from data privacy to legal team structure to public company transactions and beyond. You don't want to miss this series. Fasten your seatbelt and prepare for takeoff. You're listening to Cockpit Council. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Tim Perilla, and this is Cockpit Council. Today, uh, I've got Brady Broadbent with me, who is a partner at Sorensen Capital. Brady, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. So we start out every single episode asking about your pre-flight ritual. Brady, what is your pre-flight ritual? Yeah, my pre-flight ritual is to get on the flight and make it to my destination. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow that doesn't always happen. Exactly. uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm I one of the AirPod users that kind of okay. dials in, you know, yeah. and um, I used to be an aisle person and now I'm a window person, you know, yeah. And, yeah. but uh, but yeah, no, I, I flights are, are an interesting experience for me. It's something I try not to do as much as I used right. to, which is good, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm an AirPod guy. Yeah, that's that's the way to be. <laughs> what, what made you make the switch to the window? That's a good question. I actually find that if I'm on the aisle, the number of hits with the cart oh, is yeah. like, you know, well into the double digits, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I just figured pack it in, stay there, yeah. ride it out, you know? Yeah, I like it so I can sleep. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's usually something that's to lean up wall. against it, as opposed to like poor person in the middle. That's so. right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your background. How did you find your way to Sorensen? Yeah, so I started my career actually in this town right here okay. uh, as a consultant nice. and uh, was doing all kinds of problem solving for companies, um, yeah. which was fantastic training. Um, and I kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, I need to either benefit from or pay the price for my decisions, right? right, my right. So uh, I went from there and got into the investment world right before the 2008 disaster, okay. which was a horrible and yet awesome time to become an investor. Um, I then actually went to business school uh, back in the Boston area and started a company while I was here, which was a a technology platform for healthcare clinics. And and that experience combined with my sort of preschooling investment work um, helped me to have the skill sets to go back to the investment world, which I initially did uh, about 10 years ago. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit about the background. How was uh, how was it getting into specifically the VC the VC area? Was did you have like a large ramp time? Were there certain things about it that uh, maybe you didn't expect? Yeah, it's a good question. So the remarkable thing about um, most businesses is that there are two or three fundamental drivers of success, and they're not always the same, but they're usually very similar. Um, and so for me, uh, one of the things I love about my work is, um, once you figure out those key levers in a given company, um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you have a lot of difficult decisions to make, but it's pretty straightforward as to the pathway to create value. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, you know, that transition was, was a lot of consistent principles and then trying to figure out, okay, so where can I push really hard? 
without breaking a company right, to right. create value fast. And yep. I, I love that. That's a, that's a very unique experience to have. That's awesome. So, so let's start, uh, let's, let's get into it a little bit, um, a little bit, I guess, more tactically. Yeah. When you are first deciding on whether you're going to invest, you yeah. hear the pitch, you say, I really like this. You start in with the due diligence process. What are your interactions like with the company at that point? Like obviously during the pitch, there's questioning, there's like sort of business, like initial due diligence. All right, what are we, what are we really looking for? Uh, and is, you know, is this the type of company we want to invest in? Is this the type of team we want to invest in? But when it, when you've made that investment decision, but maybe you haven't closed the round yet, what are some things that are at the, the top of your mind that you're looking at maybe that might change your opinion of the deal? Yeah. So I'll kind of take this in two parts. One, Prior to a term sheet, right? Um, yep. you, I'm trying to answer all the key questions that are going to get me to a, a but for yes on the on the investment, right? Right. So um, that really falls into two buckets for me. The first is product and product leadership specifically. So what I'm looking for is: is there a product for a given target customer profile that is the no-brainer solution in that space? Right. Doesn't mean there's not competition. Doesn't mean there isn't other alternatives. It does mean that for that customer group, this is the answer. Okay. Um, and you know that's a lot of time with the team. It's a lot of time with customers. A lot of time with sort of market participants to understand the positioning of that, that product. Um, so that that is a big area. Number one. Uh, number two is sort of the second piece. So in my mind, there are two major risks to the performance of any B2B software company, which is where we invest. Right. Um, the first is product and product leadership. Yeah. And a great team, a great founder team, um, has built a product that's very well positioned and is solving a great problem. Uh, the other big risk though, is getting that product to market in an efficient way. Yep. Um, and so what we're trying to figure out is, you know, for that particular customer profile, has the company demonstrated the ability to repeatedly sell in an efficient way? Right. Um, and there's a lot of tools and capabilities that we've built internally to kind of figure that out and hopefully help the company plow the field for future success. Right. Um, but those are the two areas that we go really deeply. And if we find really good answers there, then, yeah. then we'll go thumbs up on the investment. Um, right. Post term sheet, you know, you're really looking for gotchas that, um, you know, you, you hadn't, hadn't gotten to pre right. pre diligence and and you know usually that's in the form of legal diligence and um, sort of the the deeper financial review and those types of things and it's yeah. really kind of making sure the stage is set you've got all the context going into the investment so so at the term sheet stage are you primarily working directly with the in-house attorney for for if there is one or the team of attorneys or are you sort of channeling that through your outside counsel? Yeah, so on our end, uh, we have a group of attorneys that we'll use on a repeated basis. Yeah. So frankly, it feels very much like an in-house team because we're constantly using them, right? Right. Um, so yeah, the term sheet stage, essentially, I'll, I'll kind of know what the general terms are that I, that I want. Right. And I'll reach out to, to those, those folks and just have them pull together a term sheet uh, along yeah. those lines. Yeah. That's generally what happens at the term sheet stage. And do you, do you all tend to 
keep your term sheets relatively consistent or or is there a pretty wide variation <clears throat> depending on type of business stage of business amount of investment yeah generally pretty consistent yeah yeah we are looking for growth driven returns growth driven outcomes right consequently there's there's not a whole lot of movement as it relates to kind of the nature of the term sheet so so when you when you are interacting with the uh, the portfolio or potential portfolio companies council, um, what are what are some of the things you're thinking about? Um, you know, how are 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 you still evaluating at that point? Is is the due diligence process an evaluation of the team as a whole? Um, how are how are you thinking about that, or is it is it very very much more transactional for you? Yeah, um, no, there's always team evaluation, right? Um, at every stage of the of the process, you know, you're trying to figure out, and a lot of it is, um, you know, where are my strengths? Right. Where are my weaknesses? Any company that's growing as fast as the companies that we invest in are growing um, is constantly adding resources, uh, hiring and and uh, supporting and, and expanding the capability of the organization. Right. So um, what I'm really trying to do is understand where my strong suits are, what my capabilities are, and where are the areas that we've got to make sure that we can bolster uh, over time. But yeah, yeah. All, all, all the time. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting point of view. Like, it's uh, I think about it in terms of um, in terms of like the first ninety days at a job, where like yeah, everything that you do is kind of like part of an extended interview. Yeah, right? it's yeah. Uh, it's it's an interesting perspective, and I think it's an important one for you know for attorneys maybe who are going through their first couple of rounds of financing, particularly if you're in house, like understand that it's an interview, but I feel like you're probably being interviewed for things that are a little bit different than maybe just like how good of a lawyer are you? Right. 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 Um, and so, you know, would be interested in hearing from you, like, yes, maybe somebody is proving to be a good lawyer, but are they negotiating effectively? And does that like, how, how does their approach to a negotiation, for example, of the term sheet, color your view yeah yeah right it just like it's it's an interesting dynamic I, having having gone through you know a number of rounds of financing there's always in the back of my mind there's always this like okay like i need to negotiate and i can negotiate in a couple of different ways and i need to figure out which one's going to be effective to get what the company needs out of this term sheet right but i need to do it in a way that doesn't i think leave a bad taste in the mouth of of the investor. Yes. So there's always a little bit of a line to walk there, but would love to get your perspective on, you know, is is there is there a line that can be crossed and what does that line look like? Yeah. So I, I think it's generally understood that in any negotiation, both sides need to have need to have a win. Right. You know, they need to have a, a an outcome that's maybe better than the starting point. Right. Right. And that's that's great uh and and there's a lot of zone of agreement um the problems come when uh one side or the other starts to think that this is a one-time game yeah as soon as your mindset goes to this is a one-time game it's it's regardless of whether you win the negotiation right. or lose you will have lost right um and and i i try really hard to keep that mindset because 
you know, in, in any interaction in most careers, it's not a one-time game, right? right. And, and you're building for the longer term. Uh, on the flip side, right, if, if I take the approach of I've got to win on every single point, I've lost even right. if I've won. Um, and that's a really important mentality to keep, especially as you have challenges that inevitably come in any company, in any partnership, right? You, yeah. You've got to set the stage for success uh, in dealing with those inevitable issues. And the wrong way to do that is to punch somebody in the nose from the get-go, right? right? <laughs> so, exactly. So yeah, I mean, it is, it is something that, you know, you start to think, gosh, is this gonna be this rough, you know, if it's been rough the whole time? Yeah. You know, so my advice to anybody in that position is like, hey, yeah, there's gonna be things that are important to you, but um, you gotta recognize the ultimate goal here is to set the stage for a good partnership. Yeah. That's ultimately what you're trying to accomplish. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think about think about it in terms of um, in terms of a lot of outside attorneys that I that I've used throughout my career and I will continue to use throughout my career where there are certain of them who what makes them so good at what they do also makes them very challenging to deal with. Yeah, sure. Right. And you know, I I have a, a particular litigation partner in mind who is just incredible. Like just easily the most electric litigator I've ever I've ever come across in it I mean, even in the movies, like quite frankly, like uh, seeing him argue a case, you feel like you're watching a movie, which <laughs> if you've ever spent any appreciable amount of time in court, it's very, very, very rarely like the movies, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty different, except when you're watching this guy. I mean, there are a few others as well. But um, but then, like, negotiating the bills with him is a real pain in the butt, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, you know, I, but, you know, when I, when I think about, like, how do you set that impression and build that relationship, it's like, the relationship and your ability to build a relationship is, I think, speaks to the competency of the lawyer, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, again, it's not good enough just to be right on the law or to to win that position. I mean, obviously, you're going to have as a business, you're going to have things that, you know, uh, that are hard stops for you. Like maybe I'm not going to accept a two X liquidation preference, or sure. maybe I'm not going to, you know, accept like a particular IRR right sure. um something like that that's a fundamental business issue at the end of the day that's not pers you know a legal issue per se right and so like focusing on those relationships i think is really important and so i kind of want to keep going down sort of that relationship uh that relationship avenue now you go through you go through the negotiation or get to the term sheet term sheet's done go through the due diligence follow-up diligence all of that done you fund. Yep. Now, you usually take a board seat, right? Typically, yeah. 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 If we're leading. So, how do you how do you approach then? Now, having been on opposite sides of a, effectively a transaction, now to being on on the same side. Yeah. And and what have you found of attorneys that uh, that have been successful versus ones maybe who are less successful? What What are some of the traits of success and and uh, from your perspective as an investor, what are you looking for from that attorney now that you're on the board and you're sort of in the company? Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's it's a little bit of a, of a balance, right? So if, if you got somebody that you're negotiating with pre-close that then becomes your partner post-close, right. 
that person is very wise to have approached that negotiation as we just discussed in a thoughtful yeah. way. So if you're coming into that board uh, dynamic with, with that person now being on the same side of the table, hopefully there's been good interactions despite the negotiation right. uh, that have led to that point. So yeah, what am I looking for? I'm looking for somebody who can, um, let me back up. As an investor, what I'm trying to do uh, in helping my company succeed is look around the corner to what's coming. That might be sales and marketing metrics, that might be pace of hiring, that might be cost structure, that might be product, whatever it might be that the company's working on. If I can help look around the corner and use experience to make good decisions today that are gonna impact the company in six, nine, 12 months, that is gonna be the most effective. In the right. same way, I, I like to see a, a general counsel who takes the perspective of looking ahead from a risk perspective and saying, okay, listen, these are the things that we're gonna to wanna to be thinking about right. in these aspects of the organization. Because frankly, there's very few people in the room that have that type of perspective or experience right. to do that. Yeah. And if, if that person especially can take a, certainly a legal contextual view and layer on top of that, a pragmatic practical perspective, uh, that's a great combination, right? right. Um, so that the that's kind of what you, you hope to see is somebody who can have the perspective and context that that um, others in the room don't have right. and be able to help the organization be really forward thinking and thoughtful as it relates to those types of topics. So yeah. anyway, it's, it's a similar set of principles um, to, to kind of how I would expect a, an independent or an investor board member to operate. Yeah that will help general counsels to, to drive value as well. Makes a ton of sense, makes a ton of sense. Um, generally, how many of your portfolio companies at the time that you invest, you're typically series B, series C? Yes, yeah, yep. On average, how many have an in-house legal function? Yeah, usually it has not been created yet. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, that's not always the case, but usually it hasn't been created yet. Um, and, and over the course of growth, and expansion, it is created. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, but it's something that, that really helps. You, you come into an organization as a as either an investor or what have you, board member, and there's a lot of different topics you're thinking about. Yeah. And it's really nice over time to be able to have experts be able to kind of help in some of those areas, right? As, you're, right? as the business is growing and accelerating. So yeah, usually it's something that's added as a company gets a little bit more mature, a little bit later stage, yeah. um, but it's it can be a tremendously positive resource. And how how involved for, for the organizations that don't have in-house legal when you join? Yeah. Typically, you know, you're looking at someone who's at least an SVP level, usually coming in, yeah. if not a, if not a you know, bona fide C, C level exec. How much interaction do you have? Do you participate participate in the interview process? Do you help advise the CEO? And what are some of those conversations like? Yeah, yeah, it, uh, certainly. Uh, generally speaking, with any C level hire, you know, a board member can provide a, a great alternative viewpoint. Yeah, because uh, it's not full time. I'm not working full time with that right. individual, but I can I can provide a perspective as to again the the core capabilities of the management team as a whole and where different team members can lift the team collectively. Right. And so, yeah, generally speaking, um, engaging in the interview process and, and kind of providing a perspective. And a lot of times it's like, 
you know, again, you're looking for somebody who has the context of, of um, the, the, whatever the applicable law structure is for that company. Yep. Um, and can layer onto that the, the practical dynamics of how fast a company is growing. Right. Um, and somebody who's coming at it, who's worked with a lot of attorneys on documentation, a lot of attorneys as, as it relates to an exit process, right. and a lot of dynamics in between, um, you can help with some of that, that filtering, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about your perspective. So one of the things that I, I, that I always find interesting is that every single board meeting, and quite frankly, every single conversation with the board member that is representing an investor um, is that that perspective is something that I very rarely can tune into. Like you always come at it from from sort of this investment perspective. Uh, obviously, there's operational perspectives layered into that because you get to know the company well enough and yeah, sure, and the industry well enough and so on and so forth. But um, you know, what are what are some of the some maybe some inside baseball that you can give for for attorneys to be able to understand sort of your perspective. What are your concerns? Yeah. Right. Like e even as far as you, when do you have to go talk to your partners about something that's going on with one of your portfolio companies? And what does that what does that do to you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sure. Like, like I just think <laughs> about it in terms of like well, I don't know why this board member is, you know, is really pushing this point so hard because operationally to me, this really doesn't seem that important, sure. but it's obviously very important to this person. Like getting some understanding as to, as to that background would be really helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so if I, uh, whenever I invest a dollar, right, in a given company that's, that's got a product or what have you, um, the context that I bring is that dollar I want to be worth uh, more in the right. future, right? And so contextually, what I'm trying to understand is what's what are the key inputs to the determination of what that dollar will be worth in the future? Okay. So if I'm a man member of the management team, I'm gonna have an area of the business that I'm, I'm thinking about as it relates to operations. And I'm thinking about, okay, how do I do this better? Right. But the perspective I'm trying to bring is put all of that together into the same box. Right. What are the things that need to be happening collectively to increase the value of the dollar? Yep. And and that often will highlight different priorities or different perspectives uh, across the chasm of operational issues. Yeah. Um, that become the bigger values, of, uh, bigger drivers of value. Okay. Uh, and when I say drivers of value, I mean the value of that dollar, right? That right. I that I put in. Um, and so, consequently, what I'm looking for is in in that given business, there may be three or four things ultimately that will drive the outcome, that will yeah. drive the fundamental value of the business in the future. Right. And so, my perspective is I'm listening to different departmental overviews, or you know, going through the materials is okay. So, what are the things that can be that should be improved or grown yeah. or expanded? And then what are the things that are must improvements right. or must areas of focus to drive value specifically? Right. And so th a lot of times what results is comments or conversation that go above maybe the specific topic at hand to say, okay, well, this relates to value creation in this way. 
Okay. You know, we've had conversations like that um, as in our board, right? Yep. Um, where it's like, okay, yes, well, there's a lot of important things that are happening. Right. But here are the things that we will be judged on in right. the future. Yep. And we have to manage to specifically. And then what are the derivative levers we can pull to lift those metrics or lift those drivers? Right. So that's the mentality that, that I come with is, is trying to filter through all of the things we could do and make sure that the things that we must do to drive value are prioritized. Right. So now to go to the second part of your question, right? Um, when, when I make an investment, I'm making inherent assumptions as to what those key drivers of value are. Mm-hmm. And a couple of things can happen. One, those assumptions could be wrong. Right. <laughs> meaning that it's actually, that the value creation process is actually gonna be driven by different things. Okay. And that's often a, a, a an opportunity for me to talk to my partners and say, hey, the premise is actually different or the premise was different than what reality is right. as far as what the key drivers of value are. Um, alternatively, you, you got the value drivers right, <laughs> yeah. um, but you're, we're not achieving them. You right. Know, you, you know what, how you're going to be graded, but you're, right. you got a bad grade, you know? Right. Um, and is that, is that typically an execution, uh, an execution issue or is it, is it something where maybe your, your drivers are, uh, I don't know, influenced by, by factors outside of the management team's control? Yeah, it's general. It, it could be either. Um, you know, I, there's always ways to execute better. That's the bottom line. Right. Um, and so we, we, work together and do our best, right, to get the, the best outcome we can. Um, and and that's that's a constant effort of of trying to get the most you can out of your board, right? Right. That's right. and that's a that's another topic we talk about. But um, yeah, the board should be be providing uh, insight and perspective to help the company, you know, achieve a great grade on whatever those value drivers are. Right. But alternatively, it could be a scenario where, you know, you've got a technology shift, you've got a market change, you've got a uh, change in the in buyer behavior. You know, you've got a macro event, whatever it might be. Right. That comes in and changes the equation. Um, and and despite great execution, the equations changed. And so things need to move. Um, but in, in any of those circumstances, I, I um, our our partnership tries to to be really deliberate and diligent and, and kind of keeping the dialogue going. Um, you know, my partners have great experience. And so I want to, I also want to be able to get their best thinking for the benefit of the company, right. On, right. on, on areas that, that we can improve. But, um, but yeah, I, I, generally speaking, a lot of, uh, a lot of it just boils down to, are we measuring the right things? Are we judging ourselves on the right metrics? Yep. Um, if we are, let's just perform well. If we're not, then let's change our paradigm and start to measure the things that matter most. Right. Um, the other thing I would say is most organizations go through an evolution of the metrics and the key drivers of success that they're paying yeah. attention to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I would say the best teams are really good at determining those three or four key drivers. Yep measuring to those and as change occurs which it inevitably does focusing adjusting the the metrics or the evaluation criteria that they use so anyway for what it's worth yeah that that makes a ton of sense and and i think that's a that's a great perspective that oftentimes attorneys you know i'm sure you've seen it attorneys just sit in boardrooms and take 
take notes. Yeah, right? sure. Like, well, I'm the company secretary. It's like, well, you got to contribute. Like, yeah, so sure. You can't, you can't just take notes. But having, you know, having that understanding that you're coming at it from metrics, from a metrics driven perspective, I think is really, really important. And it, it should, you know, it, it should trickle down to all parts of the business. I know, you know, at least here at Link Squares, everything is metrics driven. Yeah, everything like the way that the way that the legal function is run is metrics driven just as much as uh, just as much as you know the the go to market motion is. Yeah. Right? Um, so, you 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 made reference though to um, sort of structuring the board meeting and what role the board should play for the management team. Yeah. Um, would really love to get your perspective on how an effective management team should be you know utilizing the board. Yeah. Great. Great question. So yeah, it, um, I, I would say it's very common uh, for management teams to um, to engage with the board around a singular purpose, um, and that is board reporting, right? So, right. so the management team will report out kind of the progress to the board, and that's certainly an important part of the board's function. Sure, but um, great management teams will view their board as a resource. Uh, for improvement and growth and and expansion, and we'll approach the discussion certainly from a uh, reporting function, but also in a way that that allows the board to contribute. Yeah. So you know, what are the two or three things that each department head is is thinking about or noodling on or stuck on? Right. Um, what are the key perspectives that would be most helpful in managing the next you know thirty, sixty, ninety days? Right. And facilitating a discussion where they can um, extract from the board relevant experience, perspective, background yeah. uh, that's going to drive uh, the internalization of, of that experience. Right. Right. Um, so, yes, report, but but use the discussion to to um, extract that perspective and value. Um, and I, I think when the, the discussion is just as much. Q&A going both directions, you can have a great, great dynamic. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's plenty of questions from board members to the management team. Right. You know, but if the management team can kind of uh, use it as an opportunity to ask questions of the board and, and, and extract perspective, um, it can be very productive. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that, those are a few of the things that I've seen be most effective. Yeah, that, that makes it that makes a ton of sense. And honestly, it, it makes for an easier board meeting. Like it's really stressful to walk into a board meeting and be like, I need to give an update and then let the board pepper me with questions. Right. Right. Because if you don't if you're if you're just basically doing a business report, like, hey, look at how great we are. Let me know if you want to talk about anything. You're going to get questions. They may or may not be things that are important to the business. Um, or most important to the business or top of mind what you're thinking about. Like, I think our, you know, we've, we've done, um, we've done a good job of making strides in that direction of like, okay, how are we, you know, how are we getting the best insight from Brady and, and the rest of the board members? And how are we taking that back to our teams and saying, all right, this is how we need to be thinking about the business. It's, it's a meaningful shift. I think that, you know, that we've, that we've had to undergo as as a management team here. Yeah, yeah, and it's very common, right? Yeah. As a as an organization grows up, that the nature of that dialogue shifts. But 
But yeah, it, the other thing I've seen that's been effective is, you know, there may be one topic that's really relevant right now. Right. And so let's allocate, you know, half of the board meeting, for sake of example, to go really deep on that particular topic. Right. Um, and we've seen that, right? Yep. And, and, and depending upon the, the nature of the circumstances, but um, yeah, a well-orchestrated discussion can go a long, long way. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one more question for you before we get to, I know we've got a couple of questions uh, from folks that are watching. Um, would love to hear a horror story from the boardroom. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, the uh, the I'll call it a lecture, sort of the, the lecture from the management team over, you know, 250 slides yeah. over six or seven hours. <laughs> you know, you get to a I get that to sounds a, like a horror story, <laughs> no matter what the content. I, is. You know, and I sometimes I, I feel bad for a management team that's yeah. that's, you know, got, got that much. But um, yeah, no, I, there's a point at which, you know, there you have to balance the detail. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of ongoing operational, you know, opportunities and challenges. And so. Yeah. that's the balance that you've got to strike. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, uh, as in most things, the greatest companies learn how to continuously improve with rapid cycles of improvement. Right. And yeah. the same goes for a board, right? Okay. To the extent that a board can improve over time and optimize the discussion and optimize the reporting and the metrics and so forth, um, it, it only helps. So, yeah, that would be my biggest feedback is like, you know, any board dynamic that you or your listeners are in, try to drive to continuous improvement, whether it's yeah. the way the schedule runs or what's reported or the dialogue. Um, yeah. But yeah, my, my hope is that, you know, there's fewer seven hour, 250 slide deck <laughs> reviews and more dialogue around the key drivers of, of success. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one, one, very important thing is always schedule more time for each section than you think you need. Yeah. No I matter what. Right. I think that's right. I think that's right. Awesome. Well, Alyssa, what do we have? Um, this one's actually on theme with time management. What time management tips do you have for busy leaders? Okay. Um, yeah, this is a great question. So I, uh, I have gone through most uh, approaches on this um, in, in my career. You know, there, there's a certain um, there's a certain benefit of writing a list down and physically crossing something off the list. It's real. Right. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that wasn't as effective for me. I went, I used different software platforms. What I ended up with to to show my geekiness here a little bit is a very uh, structured Excel sheet. Okay. Um, that I reference every <laughs> single day. Um, yep. And although I can't physically cross something off, the delete key works pretty well you know, to get rid of it stuff. Does. <laughs> but I've found that bucketed to-dos and prioritized to-dos helps me a lot. Yeah. And just being able to get a, a particular to-do out of my brain onto a sheet um, helps a lot. And then I can come back and say, okay, what are the most important things today that I've got to do? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's where I landed Reducing it to writing helps crystallize exactly the issue that you need to do too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's a great question. Good question. Um, what are your predictions for 2023 in the VC world? Oh man. 
how much time do we have? <laughs> we have we have approximately three and a half hours left. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, man, that's a tough one. Yeah, we we're in an interesting market right now. Um, and uh, you know what I will say is, great companies will do well. Yeah. Um, companies that have got a great product that are getting that product into the hands of customers in an effective way um, will do well. So. You know, there's there's always challenges, and it you know the again the concept of continuous improvement is really important um, in this market. You've got to kind of constantly be watching where things are going. Mm-hmm. But um, again, great businesses, good market, bad market, have got a great product and customers yeah. that are satisfied, and they're responsible with their resources and treat those resources with respect as it relates to their cash and and um, spending and so forth. So. Um, yeah, I think 2023 will be as exciting as 2022, I'm sure. Right. And right. We'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so it's exciting in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, how about this? If you were to give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, my 20-year-old self. You know, I think, uh, and I, I apologize for repeating myself, but one of the things that I've learned over the course of my career is is kind of a twofold, two-edged sword that's that's the same principle, and that is um, execution or the ability to prioritize tasks and get them done. Yeah. Uh, learn how to execute. Learn how to prioritize, diagnose a problem, and and execute the solution. Yep. is really, really critical. And it, it really separates great leaders from, you know, folks that are maybe less less effective. Um, so execution is really key. And I would probably tell myself, like, learn how to learn and to do. Right. Um, and the, the, the flip side of that, or, or maybe the other side of that, is um, learn how to continuously improve. Right. Learn how to evaluate what went well this week, this month, this quarter, this year, and and to figure out ways to make that better. And yeah. it doesn't have to be a revolutionary improvement, but small improvements over time. Yeah. Um, you know, consistent focus on being better uh, than you were yesterday yeah. is a is a very uh, I think great way to go about a career or life or what have you. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, my 20 year old self, uh, I'm sure was a disaster, but, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, hopefully we can, we can all just improve a little bit each day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do we have anything else, Alyssa, or is that it? Uh, we can do one more. All right. What's one of the best investments you've ever made? This is a, that's a great question. Um, the, one of the best investments I ever made was was actually, and I don't mean this to come off the wrong way, but investing in myself. Um, and I think everybody needs to take this mindset as it relates to your own education, yeah. um, building your skill set, um, you know how how you interact with people, you know, sort of this concept we started with around: Do you approach life as a one-time game, right, or do you approach it as an opportunity to, you know? Yes, have a great outcome, but you know, be a be a good person along the way. Right. Um, so I think it, you know, investing in your own capabilities. Um, you know, I, I uh, was fortunate enough to co-found a company with a couple of other great people, and um, you know, that was kind of betting on yourself. Yeah. Uh, and that was a, a phenomenal experience as well. Um, 
so yeah, I, I you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, those types of investments pay off better than any monetary investment. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Brady, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time to sit here today and, yeah. and talk for a little while. It's been awesome, uh, a really great conversation. So thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, please like us, follow us on all the socials, and we'll see you next time.